It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe Podcast and your host, Matt Hersema. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. This is a Monday edition, Monday, June 28th to be exact. I'm recording Sunday, June 27th, but wanted to get one out for you guys uh, nice and early here to start your week off. And I will tell you today, guys, that I have some very strong opinions about something that occurred over the weekend. Very strong opinions. So I want to give a, a uh, commercial, not a commercial, but a, I don't know not a content warning, but I, I want to say something that I, I said months ago. And when I started the podcast, I was doing things a little different as, as a lot of, you know, who were loyal listeners, you guys heard me talk about a great deal of things. And a lot of you heard me, um, you heard what I was doing basically was bringing guests on. And I do like a little 15 minute intro intro, where it was just me, then bring on the guests. And that was pretty much the show. And what I found was I was sharing opinions on things, uh, you know, and it's, and it's my show. It's just how things go, but I was sharing opinions on things and then bringing somebody on. And I never, I'm, I'm always very cautious about, uh, I, I don't like the word offend offending people. Cause it's used all the time today. I'm offended. I'm offended. Right. Uh, we, we just live in this super soft society. And it has really been disappointing this past year to see just how soft some people are. I'm not some big tough guy. My friends know that. I'm. I am. I. Uh, I'm not a physical specimen by any means. I don't look for fights. I'm not saying uh, from the physical side of things. But I'm just think as in general society we have gotten so soft. You look back at previous generations and you think maybe, maybe they were. I mean, it's not like they were. Well, they were, they were way above and beyond what we were, but it's like, they were just normal people. You know, they weren't like these, uh, these great giants or anything. They were giants in their courage. I'll say that. And just uh, the values that we used to have. And, and I think we have fallen so much in uh, the past year. But anyway, the reason I'm saying all this is because I used to bring people on and I'd have my like, uh, my little uh, intro or as uh, Kevin Scarpio once said, your little monologue. And didn't always know what I was saying. And so that's kind of was the format. And that was a big reason I changed the format to just do a guest on Fridays. So it's one, you know, it's first of all, it's easier and it's a lot harder to put five guests together. Um, Bill Barnes on Wednesdays, that goes without saying. That's he and I just talking about uh, current events and whatever is on his mind. Let's him ramble away. He's the main main event. I know that. And on, like I said, Fridays, it's fun to just just have a long form conversation and not to have those intros, not to have those monologues uh, before and after, if you will. And that, that brought us to Mondays. And I know not many people listen to Mondays because honestly, it is just me usually. And outside of like football season, it is tough. You know, there's not as many, well, there, there are sports topics, but it's not as probably entertaining listening to me just sit here and talk and you know, at times look unprepared and not know what I'm doing, but I like the Monday, Wednesday, Friday format because I'm able to say my opinions on Mondays, give my thoughts on what's going on mainly in sports and say some things that 
are basically mine. They're, they don't reflect the views of any of my guests. That's why I don't want any of my guests who come on to ever feel like, Oh, they're stepping into that, uh, that show, Matt, Matt believes this, or, you know, I don't want my guests to ever feel any kind of threat or, you know, I want, this is a, this is a place, a, a welcome. We welcome everyone, right. Uh, who comes on the, the podcast. And I've even had podcasts with people I disagree with on things. It, it's, it's cool. It's all good. That's what life is about. All right. So I don't want people to feel hesitant to come on here based off of some of my opinions. You know, the intro says strong opinions. And, and I think if you're going to have opinions or beliefs, they should be strong. And I've heard a lot of things this past year that have been disappointing. I've seen the disappointment, uh, been disappointed in and kind of the actions of others, the lack of courage and things I've seen. So um, I, I just that fair warning. That is, these are my opinions. If you don't agree with my opinions, that's fine. And, and I appreciate you for continuing to listen. Uh, if you do continue to listen. Um, but anyway, I know a lot of people love the Friday episodes, got a lot of great feedback from Pat Taylor this last Friday, a true blessing to sit down and record with that man. Who's been a missionary, been a pastor, um, touched so many lives, especially down in Mexico. And, um, it was really cool to see the feedback. A lot of people enjoyed that. And honestly, I enjoyed it. I'd listened to it a few times and he's so well-spoken. He's got that, that great, deep, soothing voice. And I was a little nervous. I won't, I won't lie. I was a little nervous. I'm recording with Pat Taylor. This is a one-on-one conversation. Uh, but, but once we started chatting, I, I thought it flowed pretty well. And I felt I could ask him anything and had some fun discussions with him. So fun, fun questions. He talked about his life mostly, but uh, anyway, so just, I'm, I'm giving you the, uh, I just want you guys to understand kind of what Mondays are. And I don't want you to hear something. I say and be like, oh, Matt's an idiot. I'm never listening to do his show again. And if you do, that's your choice. You know, that freedom of choice, of course. But just understand what the Get Home pod- Podcast is. It's it, it, it. When I started it, I wasn't sure the direction I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to a place where I could say my opinions and kind of comment on what's going on in the world and in the world of sports a lot too. And then it just transformed into this great, great guy, Bill Barnes, who comes on, who, you know, needs to vent every week. And then, um, of course, a new guest every week on Fridays, long form conversation. I uh, look at my board here. I've already, already recorded uh, three other ones. I got another one coming up this week. So I'm, I'm stockpiling them so that we're good to go. You know, for the sun, it gets harder and harder because you're like, who am I going to talk to? Okay. And you reach out to people and people are busy. And we've had, uh, I don't know, hundreds of interviews now. And it's, uh, we'll start to have some repeats on, I'm sure on here, but anyway, I just wanted you guys to understand, look, I, I try to come from a, a good place. I, I love everyone out there. Uh, but I'm also a guy that's not gonna be, you know, lovey dovey and everything's okay. And, and you know what, Hey, we can fix the world with hugs. I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am. And anyway, my long winded, uh, intro here is, is having to do with what I saw over the weekend. And I was recently talked to by someone about, coming back to college baseball and umpiring again. And I'm happy with my job. I'm happy with where I'm at. It's been weird not umpiring for the past year. Uh, and I love watching the college world series, watching my buddies out. Not my, I don't know them that well. I shouldn't call them my buddies, but a lot of those guys I know, and they're doing a great job in Omaha, I think. And I was asked by someone um, no, noteworthy, I'll say, say, Hey, you going to do college baseball next year? Um, I hope you do. And, 
I thought about it. And first of all, I was like, I don't know if, if I'm going to have the availability because you've got to be willing and, you know, work schedules dictate everything. And I'm very committed to my job right now. So I, I don't really, I don't really know. Uh, probably won't, but we'll see. You never know. However, uh, what I'm going to say right now about the NCAA may change some opinions of me returning. We'll just say, that. <laughs> um, I saw something over the weekend that, Look, there's there's worse tragedies in the world than what I saw, but it was very disappointing. It was, I, I don't know, if it, how do I, was it cowardice? I, I don't know exactly. Some people were like, well, they didn't have an option, but I want to paint a picture for you guys and try to help you understand what happened. You guys know I like the College World Series. I've talked about it uh, the past few weeks. I'm going to break down some of the games here upcoming that have happened this last week. It's been a great week. I've, I've gotten home, shower up, clean up, and sit down about 11, 12 at night, and I watch a recorded version of the the late game, uh, six o'clock or four o'clock game, and I watch it at like midnight. I've been getting to bed super late because I'm watching a college baseball game. But anyway, the College World Series starts with eight teams. They were down to four teams going into Friday. And the scenario is uh, there's usually, of those four teams, uh, one team is undefeated. The other team in, in both sides of a bracket, one team's undefeated. The other team has one loss. So the one loss team has to beat the undefeated team twice Friday, if necessary, Saturday to advance The undefeated team obviously just needs one win because uh, it's double elimination. So basically the, the college baseball world was down to its final four. And North Carolina state was a team that started on a two and oh, they were undefeated. They were facing Vanderbilt. And on Friday morning, I went to turn the game on. Vanderbilt had one loss, had previous, previously lost in North Carolina State. So I turned the game on, and there's, de- there's delay. And I'm like, delay doesn't look like it's raining. Well, apparently, one of the players for North Carolina State tested positive for COVID. Um, what? <laughs> So many storylines to this. So they, they had COVID issues. There was at least one or two players who had tested positive. And the players they, and the teams, they test before these games, apparently. Uh, so because of contact tracing or whatever, NC State was down to nine players and four pitchers, 13 players. And they had, they, they had like a, a relief pitcher start at first base who had never hadn't had an at bat all season. He started three for three and then, then struck out. But so he went three for four, uh, which was interesting. They were just kind of, you know, piecing things together because they were basically told uh, you could forfeit the game and then play the if necessary game on Saturday. Cause right. One loss each, or um, you can play the game with 13 guys. NC state is like, no, we want to play even though they were missing their best guys. Uh, the top three, three of the top five guys in their regular lineup, all kinds of pitchers and all this and that they were, they were missing a lot of significant players, but they said, we are one win from getting to the national championship. We're going to play. So they played the game and they played Vanderbilt tough, uh, ultimately lost three to one, but they had a bunch of uh, moments where they could have won the game. Bases loaded one out, couldn't get it done, stuff like that. So they lost the game, and so they're going to have to play the if necessary game on Saturday. Winner take all. The winner goes to the College World Series National Championship, uh, which is a three-game series, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So 
I'm sitting there Friday night. I get home late and I'm watching the late game recorded and I'm sitting there thinking, man, what are they going to do tomorrow? How many players are they going to have? There was like, it was up in the air because, you know, there's contact tracing. It had said on the ESPN that, Hey, they're going to test guys. If they test negative, then, you know, they'll be able to play. And I'm thinking to myself, if someone tested positive, unless it's a false positive, you know, what exactly are they going to do? And so I finished watching that game three in the morning or whatever. And so I knew there was going to be two, if necessary games, because Texas beat Mississippi state to force an extra game. So I was like, okay, cool. A true final four. We got uh, two games on Saturday. Whoever wins is, is, is the two teams playing each other in the national championship. This is going to be great. I go to my phone. Cause I wanted to see who was going to play first, like what the schedule was on Saturday. And I about fell out of my chair. It said Vanderbilt, North Carolina state for Saturday, no contest. And then underneath Vanderbilt advances. And I went, wait a minute, wait just a minute. A team starts two and zero in the college world series. They have a COVID positive test apparently, or a couple, whatever. Apparently after that, they, they, they vaccinated, not vaccinated. They tested everyone, even the vaccinated players. And there were some positive tests of vaccinated players. So something tells me uh, there was something going on here. And after all the testing went down, the NCAA at 1.10 a.m. local time in Nebraska, central time, they issued the statement in the middle of the night, well after the last game had been played. And in the middle of the night, they made the decision that NC State's season was over and that Vanderbilt will advance to the national championship series, the College World Series finals. So brings up a lot of thoughts in my head. First of all, this whole concept of testing these COVID protocols still, what we're still doing all this, Keep in mind, yeah, okay, and, and, and I know people are sitting there going, Matt, 600,000 people have died. Matt, 600,000, come on. You're, out, you're, you're not being sensitive at all to uh, the, the people who've lost their lives. Uh, I think it's been shown that most people, most, 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 who have, most people have died are, are much older, uh, or people who had very significant health issues. There are exceptions. Has someone in their 20s died of COVID? Yes, yes, there have. Ha- have there been a lot? No, hardly any. So the NCAA pre- pre- pretends to care about student athletes. They're always saying that. You guys have seen the commercials. Hey, after you know, after college, some of us will will, ma- will major in something else other than sports, or most of us, you know, whatever the commercial is. So they decide to basically forfeit North Carolina State because they have COVID issues. Meanwhile, keep in mind now, here's what I want you to keep in mind. The North Carolina State players that did play that game on Friday, the 13 guys, okay, some of them had to test, all right? And so some of them were infected, had positive tests, even vaccinated guys. And they played a game against Vanderbilt. So how far do you want to take this thing, NCAA? 
do you do you how come you're not canceling Vanderbilt season? I shouldn't say that because they might they might actually do it. All right, keep in mind, I want I'm wearing this shirt today. For those that aren't watching on YouTube, it's called let them. It says let them play. And I, wa- I wear a lot of OutKick uh, shirts, uh, Clay Travis and OutKick the coverage, although he, he has a new radio show now, which I'll talk about. They're just fantastic. But he, he ha- still has his company, OutKick, and they make some really funny, great shirts. I wear a lot of them here. But this one was a football-related one, and it says, let them play. And this was in regards to when the college football world, specifically the Big Ten and the, uh, the Pac-12, when they were canceling their seasons. And basically... Well, even before that, I think in the summer when uh, guys like Trevor Lawrence and the AC, you know, represent the ACC, everyone was like, Hey, we want to play. And so basically let them play. And it's also a little tribute to uh, my friend, Tra- Tracy McFate, who was an official and an assigner for football for many years. He always said that that was his saying, let them play, let them play. As far as, you know, don't throw too many flags, let the kids figure, you know, sort the game out. But I, I thought it was fitting for today. Because you are going to take NC State off the field and their season. Just say, oh, you got a COVID test. Some, you know, a, a healthy 20-year-old tested positive. He could kill everyone, apparently. Meanwhile, there's a lot of people vaccinated. We also have a lot of people who've had COVID before. Keep in mind, I want you to think about this. So they, they played Vanderbilt. So and theoretically, even though they're outside and there's not, it's a socially distant sport, there's minor collisions here and there. They interacted with Vanderbilt. Doesn't that mean Vanderbilt has had some, could potentially have issues? Because you're not always, also it takes a few days in your system to come out as a positive test. What I've been told. So if you're going to cancel North Carolina State's season, which I don't think you should have done, should have let them play the game. But, then you're not going to cancel Vanderbilt. Maybe they all tested uh, negative and they were fine. But keep in mind, these games are being played at a stadium. 25,000 people are there. And there's no vaccination requirements. There's no testing requirements. You show up to the game. You watch the game. People don't have to wear masks. And it's, uh, it's just a sporting event. Yet you're still testing these players. And if there's a positive COVID test or anti- whatever, antibodies are, if you've already had COVID there, and so that the antibodies are in your system, but 25,000 people there, plus another few hundred, right? With the, the teams and the personnel and everything, you, you still have the event. You still have all those people there. And of those 25,000 people, what are the chances that a few people in there probably have COVID? Because a lot of people have it and don't know they have it, right? So you're going to tell this team they can't play because they have COVID tests. Meanwhile, you're going to have 25,000 people still there that aren't testing, that aren't vaccinated. And I don't care about those. That's not what I'm trying to say. I don't want the NCAA to have some massive testing program or vaccination program here before the College World Series. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have all that, yet you're going to tell a, a, a group 20 guys or whatever that they can't play that they're just your season's over because you have positive COVID tests. There was a way, there was a way to handle this better. And some people are saying, well, Matt, they didn't have any choice. They had to, uh, you know, they got to control their team. Well, you've seen with COVID though, that it's not always in your control. 
how many people have gotten it who've been extra careful, have worn masks, gloves, and, uh, you know, done everything they're supposed to do, not going around anybody, and they still get it. It's a virus. You know how many viruses are out there infecting us daily? Some of it affects us uh, roughly. Some of, some of them don't. And I know COVID is this unique uh, virus that has happened and has hit us hard the past year. But I, I truly do believe this. And, and ironically, it, it could come, you know, I could get COVID and then I could die. And then everyone would be like, see, Matt, we told you. All right, but I, but I truly do believe this. I think what we've seen with the coronavirus this past year Almost year and a half now. Let's see, March, a year and a quarter, year and year and three months. I truly believe that there has been a serious infection of this virus, and the infection is is the hysteria that it has caused. It has caused people to not think, to overreact. Matt, you want people to die? No, but it's caused people. To not think rationally. 600,000 deaths, Matt. Yes, I understand that. And 98% survival rate, I believe. I, I could be wrong. But um, no, I just looked that up, CDC uh, numbers and such. But uh, 33 million cases, yes. 33 million cases, 600 deaths. So let's say my simple math, 33.4 uh, million cases in, in America. So my math is terrible. So 32,800,000 people have survived the coronavirus. 32 million. And I'm not saying trying to diminish the 600 deaths out there we all know that the ages of i'm not i had grandparents too i have my parent my dad too i have i have older friends i'm not wishing them die oh they're they're old just let them die i'm not saying that because this is what people do when they have a cause or an agenda they twist words they try to manipulate the language you said this. Yeah, but I also said this. Okay, you, you know, we're seeing that today. I'm just, I'm all over, over, over the place today because I am so worked up over this when I saw this on Saturday. Saturday morning at 1 a.m. in the middle of the night, much like the, uh, the Baltimore court, Colts leaving, uh, leaving the city in the middle of the night when they moved to Indianapolis and abandoned that city. That's a, that's a fun story, fun, fun thing to look at if you're ever bored. Um, I am not saying you shouldn't proceed with caution and, and, and be careful, but you got to also live your life. And I would understand more, I should say, if the NCAA had no fans at these games, very strict protocols, the sport had just come back, and there was, I don't know, the, everything was – super strict. Apparently it still is on the teams, but you're going to send a team home who has a few positive tests yet. You're still going to have 25,000 people there for a game 
on Saturday night, a game on Monday night, a game on Tuesday night. I guess the, the worst thing I've seen with COVID is the infection of hysteria. Everybody freaks out. I mean, it's funny how if you question something, you're, you're brought out, you're a COVID denier. You don't care about science. You don't care about people. It's like, no, there's also some common sense here. And so I think the announcers were saying, oh, the NCAA didn't have a choice here. I, I disagree. And I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe there shouldn't be testing before. If you're not going to test, if you're going to allow people to come in freely, which I love, I'm a huge fan of, you guys know that. If you're going to allow fans to, uh, in masses to come, if it's safe enough to do that, do we need to be testing anymore for before games? The NFL's upcoming. There's some issues there. Some guys are like, it's it's unfair to guys who who don't want to get the vaccine. They're going to be treated as second class citizens, basically, with their weekly schedules and 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 everything. So, especially in sports where so many of these athletes are, I mean, they're they're in incredible shape, right? There have been a lot of athletes who've gotten COVID this past year. A lot of them. And they seem to be just fine. And I understand. Okay, here, okay, I'm trying to like jump ahead and like get reactions from people that I know I'm going to get. Well, yeah, Matt, they're healthy. But the worst part of COVID is that it spreads. You spread it to other people. Okay, I'm not saying, I mean, you, 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 you go around and cough on people and see who, see who survives. I'm not saying that. But we have this this 25,000 seat stadium and I guarantee you there's someone there who has COVID. Someone has it because a lot of people have it, don't know it. All right. There's probably people getting it at these sporting events. But I think a lot of people who are attending these things, they just, they don't live in fear of it. They're like, I might go get the flu somewhere too. Like if you're, if you're scared, just stay home. But yeah, we're still testing these guys who are in their twenties who virtually have no long-term threat to their health. And is a baseball player on a field really going to give COVID to a fan in the stands who's away from them and not really next to them outdoors? Is there going to be outdoor transmission? I doubt it. Uh, We've learned a lot here. A lot of things have come out, you know, the double masking, the, the masks outdoors and how all that stuff was unnecessary. Someone else may, may disagree, though. Yeah, it was a super necessary. If if we did not take these steps, imagine what it would have been like. I know, doomsday. Doomsday stuff. So extremely disappointed in the NCAA. Very disappointed. I'm curious what Bill Barnes has to say over this because Bill and I differ on a few things. He's more of a, I'm vaccinated, open, open everything up, let, let things go. Um, I've been wanting that. For a long time, anyway, because because here's the here's the point. How long? Here's my fear. How long do we continue with some of this cosmetic theater? How long does it continue until a hundred percent of the country is vaccinated? Is that the goal? I could I, I seriously could. It's a scary thought. California just opened. Finally, can walk into a grocery store without a mask on. And. I am terrified that things could go backwards. I could see it happening. 
And this situation at the College World Series is a pretty big impact in sports. You know, Chris, who's I'm not following the NBA that much, but I've heard, you know, Chris Paul, I think, had COVID. They couldn't play a couple games in the Phoenix uh, LA Clippers series, right? So that was affected, a playoff series affected. But this is a team being told you cannot play anymore. You're one win away from the national championship game. Go home. And it was heartbreaking. It was 1 a.m. So that, that game ended. Um, I'm trying to remember what happened. Game ended. There's a photo. There's a uh, The grounds crew at, in Omaha is, is a rake in the field, cleaning it up. There's no one in the stadium. And the North Carolina State baseball team, what's left of them anyway, because the rest of them are you know being treated like prisoners and put in a quarantine or whatever. But for a handful of guys... After the game Saturday, uh, not Friday night, excuse me, because remember they didn't get to play uh, Saturday. Saturday, After the decision was made, in the middle of the night, they go out on the field in their civilian uniforms and they take a team picture behind home plate, no one in the stands, just like as a goodbye to the College World Series. And I saw the photo and my heart just broke. It was like, this is what we've come to. This is unbelievable. I mean, what do you tell those? What do you, what do you tell them? You know, guys, we, because, because I, I guarantee the kids who got COVID. And and remember, many people could have COVID, could have gotten COVID, and not known it. And that's what some terrifies some people is that oh, it spreads, and you don't even know who has it, and this and that. But. Uh, what do you tell them? Hey, you did nothing wrong, but we're punishing you. Basically, that's what's happening. And, and so I know the arguments. Well, Matt, three other teams, they didn't get COVID. They're playing. Here's what I, here's what I wonder what, what would have happened. What if on Friday, keep in mind, these are the two like semifinals, right? Keep, it had NC State beaten Vanderbilt with those 13 guys, eliminated Vanderbilt and advanced to the national championship series. And then this decision is made. What would have happened? You can't bring Vanderbilt back, can you? After being eliminated, and Mississippi State and Texas—they're playing in the national semifinal too. Do you just say, "Well, whoever wins that's the national champions"? What would they have done? That's why I'm saying it's a slippery slope. What happens here if uh, one of the two teams remaining? It's Sunday. It's an off day for the teams. What happens if someone tests for COVID before the game one of the national championship? You cancel, you cancel it also. What do you do? I don't know. The NCAA is all about making money. Uh, they can pretend they're not. They are. They're about making money. And as long as they have 25,000 people in those stands, they don't care about anything else. They don't, they pretend to care about health and safety. They do not. I'm curious what Bill has to say, as I was saying, because he may think differently. He may, he may think, oh, NC, well, they got COVID. They shouldn't have. Yeah, they have no choice but to forfeit. There's, there's, virtually, there's virtually no risk here for the kids playing. And I think all this just needs to go away. There's risks out there in this world. Uh, you can get hit by a car. You can uh, be, be randomly robbed. Uh, you, we saw in Miami last week, how horrifying that was that apartment building that collapsed still a bunch of people missing. People have been, have legs amputated. A lot of people, I mean, dead. I mean, you just don't know. There's random things that occur in this world 
you can't walk around terrified if you want to. I guess it's your right. But crazy things happen at weird times that, you know, think about all the the tough moments in your life, whatever it's been, death of a family member, uh, something crazier. It was never in a a good time, right? It was the timing was always awful, typically. And and you didn't sit around dreading certain situations from happening. You just you live your life, and when bad things happen, you you got to do your best to deal with it. Dust it off, brush it off, and move on. So, uh, I just I don't I don't know what to say anymore. Uh, this so disappointing. Again, I'm curious what Bill has to say, and I'll record with him. Uh, on Monday and we'll get that episode out to you on Wednesday, but I just wanted to get this off my chest because I, it's so disappointing that this happened and maybe some of you have a better solution. I don't know if they couldn't delay the world series for a week or whatever. It is what it is. And probably each team knew there was potential for having to forfeit a game had they had positive tests, but I just don't know how you explain to a group of kids who have worked hard all year to get to this moment. Uh, an opportunity to win their first national championship in school history and ha- a team that beat the number one team in the nation in Arkansas in the, in the super regionals and advanced to the college world series started two and zero, and to have this taken from them. And it was taken from them. Just totally unacceptable to me. And uh, I'm sure I'll get some pushback here about my opinions, but guys, they're just my opinions. It's okay. Uh, I want to read to you what the NCAA released um, at 1.10 a.m. local time. The NCAA Division I Baseball Committee has declared the Vanderbilt NC State Men's College World Series game scheduled for Saturday, June 26th at 1 p.m. Central Time, a non-contest because of COVID-19 protocols. And then it goes on to say that Vanderbilt will advance. So Vanderbilt is in the national championship of the college baseball uh world college world series which will begin on monday i'm going to take a break from baseball right now i'm going to do suds with studs to cool off a little bit let's talk about something a little more inspiring and then i'll come back with uh some recaps of the college college world series a few games i saw just a couple of uh outlines a few bullet points of can we still say bullet points i'm sorry i'm sure that's offensive uh but I'm going to, that's the plan. I'm going to do that. And then uh, we have a Stanley cup final. We have a, a matchup that uh, is, is quite intriguing. And there's a few storylines there as well. So let me take a breather here. Deep breath. This coffee's getting a little cold while I'm rambling. I need a, I need a, uh, a thermos or something. When I do the podcast, bring it up here or maybe a, a coffee pot in here. That'd be next level. Maybe on the next studio, something like that. All right. A breather here. Okay, for Suds with Studs today, and I hope you guys enjoyed or read up on Shannon Kent last week because uh, I posted the article. It's really long. I posted it on our Facebook page. But really, really, uh, what a what a great individual. What an amazing uh, woman warrior, I'll say. Uh, I hope you guys read up on her. She died tragically in a, in a suicide bomber, a suicide bomb um, blast, but uh, her contributions to uh, the military specifically and special forces it was just uh, unbelievable. So I hope you guys got to read up on her a little bit today. We're going to be talking about Lawrence Joel uh, who fought in uh, the Vietnam war and uh, 
really, really cool. I, I heard about Lawrence Jill. There's a song by Big and Rich. It's called The Eighth of November. I've posted it before. Great song. Talks about a pretty tragic day for uh, U.S. Uh, military, U.S. Army, and, and uh, a rough, rough battle there where they were completely outnumbered. And uh, basically, talks about uh, a guy who went through that. And uh, it's a great song if you're looking for kind of a patriotic good song to hear. Uh, give it, give it a listen. The eighth of November. So anyway, uh, we're talking about Lawrence Joel. And again, as a reminder, this is Suds with Studs. We talk about a hero, usually from the military or law enforcement. We try to give a, a brief uh, summary, a few, a few uh, pieces of information here that can uh, hopefully inspire you guys. And we call it Suds with Studs because these are people we would love to sit down and have a beer with. And not just by the first round, but every single round. So today we're talking about Lawrence Joel, who was born February 22nd, 1928. Lawrence Joel was a United States Army soldier who served in the Korean and Vietnam Wars. While serving in South Vietnam, Vietnam as a medic with the rank of Specialist 5 assigned to the 1st Battalion of the 503rd Infantry in the 173rd Airborne Brigade, Joel received the Silver Star and the Medal of Honor for his heroism in the battle with the North Viet Cong that occurred on November 8, 1965. He was the first medic to earn the Medal of Honor during the Vietnam War and the first living black American to receive the medal since the Spanish-American War in 1898. Here is uh, a brief description of what happened on November 8, 1965, and then I will also read to you the citation for Mr. Joel. On November 8th, 1965, then Specialist 5, Lawrence Joel and his battalion of paratroopers were sent on a patrol for Viet Cong soldiers near Bien Hoa War Zone D in South Vietnam, conducting Operation Hump. They shortly found themselves in a Viet Cong ambush, outnumbered six to one. Under heavy fire, Joel did his duty as a medic, administering first aid to wounded soldiers. Joel defied orders to stay to the ground and risked his life to help the many wounded soldiers. Nearly every soldier in the lead squad was either wounded or killed in the battle. Even after being shot twice, once in the right thigh and once in the right calf, Joel continued to do his job. He bandaged his wounds and continued to help the, help the wounded in not only his unit, but in the nearby company as well. When his medical supplies were depleted, he hobbled around the battlefield for more using a makeshift crutch while SP4 Randy Eikhoff ran ahead of him and provided covering fire. Eikhoff was later awarded the Silver Star and Purple Heart for his actions. Joel attended to 13 troops and saved the life of one soldier who had a severe chest wound by improvising and placing a plastic bag over the shoulder's chest in order to seal the wound until the supplies were refreshed. After the firefight, which lasted over 24 hours, Joel was hospitalized and shipped to locations including Saigon and Tokyo to recover. Shortly after, he received the Silver Star for his activities. On March 9, 1967, on the White House lawn, President Lyndon Johnson presented Lowell with the Medal of Honor for his service in the Vietnam War. His citation reads as follows. 
for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity on the risk of life above and beyond the call of duty, SP6 Joel demonstrated in indomitable courage and determination and professional skill when a numerically superior and well-concealed Viet Cong element launched a vicious attack which wounded or killed nearly every man in the lead squad of the company. After treating the men wounded by the initial burst of fire, he bravely moved forward to assist others who were wounded while proceeding to their objective. While moving from man to man, he was struck in the right leg by a machine gun fire. Although painfully wounded, he, his desire to aid his fellow soldiers transcended all personal feeling. He bandaged his own wound and self-administered morphine to deaden the pain, enabling him to continue his dangerous undertaking. Through this period of time, he constantly shouted words of encouragement to all around him. Then, completely ignoring the warnings of others and his pain, he continued his search for wounded, exposing himself to hostile fire. And as bullets dug up the dirt around him, he held plasma bottles high while kneeling completely engrossed in his life-saving mission. Then, after being struck a second time and with a bullet lodged in his thigh, he dragged himself over the battlefield and succeeded in treating 13 more men before his medical supplies ran out. Displaying resourcefulness, he saved the life of one man by placing a plastic bag over a severe chest wound to congeal the blood. As one of the platoons pursued the Viet Cong, an insurgent forced in concealed positions opened fire on the platoon and wounded many soldiers. With a new stock of medical supplies, SP-6 Joel again shouted words of encouragement as he crawled through an intense hail of gunfire to the wounded men. After the 24-hour battle subsided and the Viet Cong dead numbered 410, snipers continued to harass the company. Throughout the long battle, SP-6 Joel never lost sight of his mission as a medical aidman and continued to com comfort, comfort and treat the wounded until his own evacuation was ordered. His meticulous attention to duty saved a large number of lives and his unselfish, daring example under most adverse conditions was an inspiration to all. SP6 Joel's profound concern for his fellow soldiers at the risk of life above and beyond the call of duty are the highest tradition of the U.S. Army and reflect great credit upon himself and the armed forces of his country. Well, God bless Lawrence Joel. Unfortunately, he died in 1984. But if it were possible, it would be an absolute honor to sit down and have a beer with Lawrence Joel and not just by the first round, but every single round. So we raise a glass to you, sir. Uh, you are an inspiration and what a, what a uh, courageous individual. I talked about a lack of courage uh, with pr probably some of the decisions made in our society. Well, this was real courage under fire, helping other people and uh, being wounded yourself, but just continuing relentlessly pursuing uh, an, an objective and, and helping other people, giving your life potentially for people who were wounded, dying, crying, and uh, just a, an absolute horrible situation. Apparently, I think it was, it was something like 1200 to 30, I think when this battle started and uh, ultimately uh, there were a lot of men killed uh, that day. And so I, I think the, the crazy thing is I think Lawrence Joel knew that a lot of men were not going to make it yet. He still provided comfort and encouragement uh, to these guys trying 
his hardest, no matter the circumstance, to at least be there for them in their final moments. So uh, an incredible person, again, the first uh, living black man to win the Medal of Honor or be awarded the Medal of Honor since uh, 1898 uh, and a, a medic in the, in the Vietnam War, Specialist 5, uh, I think eventually a Specialist 6. But uh, yes, to Lawrence Joel, cheers to you, sir. Uh, absolute honor to read some information here about you. And guys, I always encourage you, please go look up these people, go read a, a paragraph or two about them, pay tribute to them. We can't forget people like this uh, and, and to kind of learn what real, real courage is. And hopefully that inspires you guys. Like it inspires me. Cause I hear stories like that and I'm just, I'm ready to go. I mean, when it's hot outside, I'm working, uh, you know, uh, with my job, I I'm just like, no, this is, this is nothing. It's, it's heat. Like no one's shooting at me. Life's fine. So uh, hopefully that encourages you guys in, in your walk of life and all that you do, no matter the, the circumstance. So anyway, uh, Lawrence Joel, our most recent honoree of a segment we love to do here on the podcast called Suds with Studs that we do on Mondays. If you have any uh, suggestions, by all means, please send them my way. I, I would love uh, talking about these people, these individuals uh, that that we can all learn learn a thing or two from. So an absolute honor to to do that on Mondays. Okay, back to the College World Series. So it started last Saturday, and I told you last Monday, kind of recapped a little bit of the weekend, the opening games. But I want to talk about something that you see at the College World Series in instant replay. And a lot of people do not like this, but I understand why they do it. And I just want to kind of explain it to you guys, um, basically what happens. So anytime there's a close play, you know, and, and all the players, they all they do the headset sign, which I, I hate. I absolutely hate. I wish I, I love it when a guy says, Hey, review that. And then it ends up being, you know, the right call. I think it's really funny, but what happens is when a, a replay, a, a play is challenged or there's a replay request or whatever, the crew first, instead of going to look at it right away, first they get together and some people don't like this, but they get together and it's a brief conversation as to, hey, does anybody have anything different here before we go look at it? Because with replay, the call on the field, the, the call that is made before you go look at a play on replay uh, really matters because in order to overturn that call, there has to be clear and concise, right? Uh, uh, 100% basically, or it has to be, in order to change a call, it has to be uh, very clear. So the brief meeting with umpires is to be like, what is the call we're making before we talk to replay for them to overturn? Because there was a play, I think, it was a hit by pitch. They originally, uh, the plate umpire said, no, it didn't hit him. The hitter was like, yeah, it hit me, it hit me. Coach came out, kind of argued, said, hey, can we look at that at least? Uh, or get together, whatever. So he said, okay, I get the crew together. He got the crew together first. And the crew made the decision. It, the ball did hit him and they were right. They were, they were right in that, in that assessment. So the other coach came out and was like, wait a minute. You said it didn't hit him. You got together. Who saw it from hundred feet away? You know, it, none of that really matters. It's, you know, it's about getting it right ultimately. So he said, well, well, we'll go look at it now, but we, the crew had to make a decision because you don't want to make a wrong, an obvious wrong call and then go to replay. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, you got to change it. As a crew, you want to get the play right before you go to replay, if possible. So that's why they do that. So they then looked at the play on, on the replay 
and there wasn't evidence right to overturn the overturned call because whatever they decide on the field after their little huddle is what the call on the field is. That is now the call on the field. All right. So the announcers, they're, they're, they're losing their mind. This is so stupid, but again, protocol is not made by umpires. Okay. It's made by the, the supervisors of umpires and and the, you know, the national coordinators and such. All right. That's, it's like the rules. There's not really umpires on the rules committee, but people come up like that. There's a, this whole pitch clock, 22nd between pitches thing. It's umpires hate having to enforce that by the way, but it's not like umpires sat around and be like, Hey, let's, let's uh, make a rule that will make people more mad at us. No, that's not what happened. So my point is the original call matters because that is what determines what you overturn. All right. And remember, there's a call stands, which means you couldn't really find anything one way or another. And then a call confirmed means the play, the ruling was correct. But that's why the crew gets together. And you and not all things you could like a, I don't know, a swipe tag or a, and sometimes it's just a brief communication. It was like, hey, we can review this play, right? Yep. This falls into one of the categories. Okay. It's just getting on the same page. I know people don't like it. It looks sloppy, whatever, but that's why they do it. Uh, try to get the call on the field so that it replay doesn't have to overturn a, a, a potential play. Okay. Some of the games have been outstanding. I mean, really, really good games. And a lot of games in Omaha are elimination games, right? Where it's win or go home, double elimination uh, format. So uh, really cool stuff. Virginia had a possible no hitter broken up in the eighth inning on, I think it was Monday night against Mississippi state. Then it was Griff McGarry, great name, uh, who for Mississippi State, who hit a two-run home run to break up the no-hitter. Virginia led 4-0 in this game into the eighth inning and then ultimately lost the game 6-5. to five. So a really great comeback, amazing game there. Um, I, I enjoyed every second of it. It was uh, just a great, great baseball game uh, on uh, Monday. Uh, Stanford, they were up. This was on two, no, Wednesday, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Stanford was up five to four on Vanderbilt in an elimination game. They lost uh, six to five on a walk-off wild pitch. You don't see that too often. Guy on third, airmailed it to the backstop. And uh, so that was a wild, weird ending. Tough way to lose indeed. Uh, Jack Leiter for Vanderbilt. who will probably start game one of the college world series finals uh, son to um, Al Leiter, the former big league pitcher himself. Um, they, or Jack had like 13, or excuse me, 15 strikeouts, ended up losing the ball game actually to North Carolina state. I think that was Monday. I'm kind of recapping it all here from last week, but that was a pitching clinic, man. Uh, he, he, uh, I think he gave up a home run. That was the only run of the ball game. Uh, one nothing. North Carolina State beat Vanderbilt back when they were allowed to play baseball, which uh, you know I've already said enough on. Uh, so uh, Jack uh, Jack Ladder will will in fact pitch uh, on Monday in Game One of the College World Series uh, final. So uh, if you haven't seen him uh, haven't seen him pitch before, uh, by all means, I told you earlier in this this season, right? Uh, Kumar Rocker and Jack Lyre, the two best pitchers in the country. And they happen to both play for uh, Vanderbilt. So uh, Kumar Rocker pitched on Friday in the victory over North Carolina state. 
So it'll be Jack Leiter. And if they need Kumar Rocker to come back, uh, probably uh, Tuesday might be a bit early. But hey, if you're a win away from the national championship or a loss away from elimination, you may want to have uh, one of your best guys on the hill. So that is uh, just a few of the crazy things I saw. Uh, oh, Texas and Mississippi State, they were playing in a, in a winner-take-all semifinal, basically. Uh, Texas, Mississippi State, the Longhorns were up um, three runs in the eighth. Texas uh, or Mississippi State rallied, tied it. Uh, just an incredible game. And then uh, there was a rain delay in the ninth. And it wasn't that long, but Texas came back and had a, a three-run absolute bomb. I think it was the kid from New Jersey, but uh, he hit it. He knew it. Everybody knew it. So it was just crazy. Texas led by three. Mississippi State tied it. Then Texas scores three more with a three-run bomb. And then Mississippi State rallied. They had a a uh, a chance. I'm sorry. This was Friday. I apologize. This is the game Texas won to force Saturday's uh, game. But uh, really good game. Long game. No pace to it. I mean, Texas, I, there were so many walks and so many pitching changes. I I was sitting there trying to stay awake because I, I got home late. I was watching this game on uh on uh, what night was that Friday night going into Saturday. And man, I stayed up till like almost four in the morning. Cause the game went forever. And I'm trying to like, oh, I want to, I want to know how this ends to see if, you know, Mississippi state ends up uh, advancing or if Texas can force an extra game. And I, I, I stayed up and hung in there. Uh, the game went four hours and four minutes. It was, let me see. Yeah. Eight, five final. And how many, I wanted to look up something real quick here if I could. Cause I swear to, Oh my goodness. The walks. I, I, I was pulling my hair out one, four, five, seven, eight. That's one team. Eight walks for one team. It was the other team. Uh, two, four, five, eight, 10, 11, 11 walks for one team and eight for the other. That is horrifying. Throw strikes. Babe Ruth is dead, man. Come on. As the old saying goes, uh, 11 walks and eight walks. Let me see the totals. Texas pitchers had eight walks. Mississippi state had 11 Texas used one. Okay. Texas only used three pitchers, which was surprising. I thought Mississippi state was going to the bullpen. It seemed like every, every half inning, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pitchers used by Mississippi state, but they were trying to, to win it and get, get to the, the, the finals, right? And um, Texas pitchers, except for all those walks, I guess, I guess so, but hung in there, but uh, oh, four pitchers and yeah, one, two, three, anyway, it doesn't matter. But I was sitting there watching this walk fest. I'm like, good grief. And then there were still runs being put up, but yeah, three in the ninth for Texas on, on a big swing there in the ninth, the dude, the kid knew it, man. He crushed that ball. Um, I think it was a kid from New Jersey, but anyway, I'll move on. So that led us to Saturday where Mississippi state, and Texas were playing for uh, all, all the marbles. Well, to get to the College World Series uh, final against Vanderbilt, who was, you know, the default winner of the bracket uh, on the other side. So anyway, they uh, played on Saturday night. Good baseball game. Really good baseball game. Back and forth. Uh, it was uh, tied late. And uh, Mississippi State rallied. Walk-off single to take down the Texas Longhorns in advance to an all sec championship series uh longhorns went three and two in omaha but it's still double elimination right and they after losing their first game 
uh, put together three three wins in a row before losing to uh, Mississippi State in the final game of the uh, the bracket there. So it's Mississippi State and Vanderbilt Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a three game series. So uh, it may only go two days. It may go all three. Uh, Jack Leiter will be the starter for Vanderbilt and Mississippi State. Their pitching is so depleted. They had to play that extra game on Saturday. And uh, I'm curious to see uh, how they do against Vanderbilt because Vandy, Vandy hasn't put up a ton of runs offensively, which is kind of weird. They kind of came in with a decent offense. Uh, but anyway, keep an eye on them. If you want to see good pitching, watch Jack Leiter, who, uh, who will be probably one of the first picks taken in the draft. Uh, unbelievable talent. And uh, Jason Gonzalez, as I mentioned a week ago, kid from Covina, California out here, went to Bishop of Mott High School, and I was notified by Will Tarico that he did, in fact, uh, play in Cary Youth League for a short time. So I didn't know that. And I, I umpired a lot of his games when he when he played for the San Gabriel Valley Arsenal. He played for the uh, West Covina Dukes, stuff like that, some travel ball teams. But I guess when he was really young, he played for, uh, for the uh, – for Kerry youth league. And I think Will told me that he was like teammates with um, who was it? Matt. Uh, oh man. Why am I having an aneurysm here? Uh, Matt Fink. Hello. The USC quarterback, a guy who played at USC. Um, I think he said they were teammates when they were like probably little, little kids. Cause think think played a little while at uh, care, but it was uh, I, I guess Jason Gonzalez moved on and, and played elsewhere, but um yeah, Jason Gonzalez was at care. This is from Will Tarico. Same team as Matt Fink. I said, wow, what a team. What a, you got a division one football player and a division one baseball player uh, on uh, those same care youth league team when they were little, little guys. So just a reason there to root for Vanderbilt, I guess. Um, although I, I feel weird about rooting for them, as I've mentioned, because of how they ended up getting to the college world series final. I think they would have probably competed well with NC state and, Vanderbilt was kind of my pick going into the college world series because I thought their offense was timely enough. Um, their catcher's really good. A kid from a uh, modern day high school actually out here too. And um, I thought with the two, the two top pitchers in the country that, that they were going to be just fine. So um, they, they probably weren't, we were going to get to the final, but I, I just wish that North Carolina state would have had a chance uh, COVID or no COVID just uh, find a way to, to, to do this thing. So College World Series final set Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, if you guys like baseball, if you guys like kind of the college environment versus some of the stuff you see in professional sports, I, I do think the College World Series is is incredibly underrated. And I've said that for quite some time. I've told you kind of previously why I like it over other big sporting events. And, and I do want to get back there sometime soon, get to uh, get to Omaha at the new stadium and, and check out a uh, – a, a series, a college world series sometime, maybe, maybe down the road as one of my vacation uh, explorations. So anyway, enjoy the national championship. Um, send me your thoughts. If you do watch it, things you like, things you don't like or whatever, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, four o'clock Pacific time on one of the ESPN, uh, probably ESPN, but uh, Mississippi state versus Vanderbilt. And uh, you know, I want to look at something because uh, they obviously played each other in the, uh, in the regular season. Uh, there we go. Okay. And uh, in the SEC conference play, and I'm not sure if they played each other in the SEC tournament, but Mississippi state was, was ranked up there all season. They, they had a quite a season themselves. I think we're ranked in the top five at one point, 
but let me see here the schedule for Vanderbilt when in fact they the the two teams did play back during the uh, the regular season uh I'll get there excuse me pardon me oh I got to give Bill Barnes credit we'll talk about it on Wednesday uh but he predicted that Arizona coach Jay Johnson would end up at LSU that's exactly what happened I still think Bill might have had some insider knowledge he says that he didn't but LSU goes after Jay Johnson from the University of Arizona. So they're now looking for a head coach. I would think that it might be their pitching coach, Nate Yeski, who's been a, a pitching coach on the West Coast a long time, uh, most notably at Oregon State for a few national championships. Okay, Vanderbilt and Mississippi State played earlier in the season. Vanderbilt took two out of three uh, by winning uh, games six to two and seven to four. Mississippi State had a victory in there of a seven to four win as well. So uh, Vandy has a slight edge there, uh, probably in large part to the the two pitchers I think they have. But let's see, did they play in the? I don't think they played in the SEC tournament. Just wanted to see if there was one other, one other game. Okay, does not look like it. So that was the only matchup of the season was when they played each other. Uh, Vanderbilt took two out of three, so it's going to take two out of three to win a national championship here, whether it's Mississippi State or the Vanderbilt Bulldog or Bulldogs, uh, Mississippi State Bulldogs, Vanderbilt Commodores. And remember, it's technically Vanderbilt, who is the defending national champions, winning it in 2019. Had had a tough time at Omaha, actually getting to Omaha in, in kind of the early 2000s. And then they finally got there and didn't have success, but have won a couple national titles here in 2014 and 2019, respectively. So the defending champs going up against Mississippi State Bulldogs, who have uh, been close in, in years before, but in 85 and I think a few years also, not too, not too long ago losing in the in the final so it uh, should be exciting i'm excited about it i'll be watching it at probably midnight on monday tuesday and maybe wednesday but i'll stay up for it what uh, whatever happens all right briefly i want to talk about the nhl playoffs i did watch some hockey here the past few days uh, recording it late and stuff uh tampa bay they were going up against montreal tampa bay uh won or excuse me, Tampa Bay and the Islanders. Uh, my apologies, Tampa Bay and the New York Islanders. Tampa Bay won eight to nothing in game five. I haven't seen many hockey scores like that before. I mean, think about it, eight goals, eight to, not, eight to nothing. That's just dominance on all levels there from the Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending Stanley Cup champs. Uh, it was, however, the Islanders, the New York Islanders. Uh, I watched this game, uh, game six, they won in overtime. I mean, it was incredible. I, I've told you before about playoff hockey and how great it is. But when a game goes to overtime, man, it's exciting. It's like every shot, every, I mean, it's so, so cool. It's, it's the best playoffs, I think, in, in sports and definitely the best overtime. I, I love the sudden death feel where it's just uh, bodies all over the ice. And it was really, really cool to see. That was a great game six between the New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So they forced game seven, and then it was another really good game, really close. Uh, ultimately, Tampa Bay, the Lightning, advanced with a one nothing victory over the Islanders. So kind of breaking the hearts of those New York Island, New York Islander fans because the Islander, it, the Islander fans, you know, the Long Island team, and there's the New York Rangers, which is the big fancy brand, and then there's just the Islanders right here. Yeah, you guys play over here. I was kind of hoping for them just because, uh, I don't know, they're kind of that, that uh, second team there in New York. And then you also got the New Jersey devils across the way too. Uh, all right. Montreal and Vegas. I was actually watching game six while I was recording with an upcoming guest who I'm not going to tell you about yet, uh, but it's some, somebody you guys will enjoy listening to uh, here very soon. But I was watching 
Montreal and Vegas. Uh, kind of hoping for a game seven. Montreal was up three games to two. They beat Vegas in overtime. Again, another exciting uh, finish. I was uh, sitting here recording and I saw it. I was like, oh man, no game seven. But uh, man, overtime hockey is great. So our Stanley Cup final is set. Montreal against Tampa Bay. Who had that on the board, right? That just sounds weird. But Tampa Bay is the defending champs and going back to defend their title. So I don't know how many Stanley Cup finals... uh, Tampa Bay has been to uh, in the years. This may have been their second one, but um, I did a little look up here and Tampa Bay versus Montreal and um, Montreal. I couldn't believe this. Montreal has 24 Stanley cup wins. And remember they were quite the dominant team there in the eighties uh, the when Gretzky was there. And then he came to Los Angeles and it was in 93, Montreal's last Stanley Cup championship victory. It was over the LA Kings uh, back in 1993. So they are making their 35th appearance in the Stanley Cup final. Their first one was in 1916. So the Canadians have quite a history here. Uh, the next closest team in win wins is the, uh, oh, I guess not the, okay. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they have 13 titles. And the Red Detroit Red Wings have 11. So Montreal Canadiens, you don't, I mean, I know I knew their history. I just didn't realize they won it almost every year, it seems like. So they've won 24 out of their 35, or 34 appearances now with 35 coming up. And uh, it's it's been since 1993. And I've told you this before. This is a crazy stat I didn't realize. But yeah, the it, the Canada has not had a Stanley Cup winner since 1993 in those Montreal Canadiens over the LA Kings. So uh, plenty of reasons to watch here. It's going to be a good series. Looking forward to it. It starts on Monday. Set your DVRs and record these games because they're uh, they're always fun. And there was something that got brought up that I found really interesting. You know, Canada has a pretty tyrannical government, I think even com- uh, especially compared to, to ours with this whole COVID thing. They didn't have fans. They didn't have any, you know, they only played. They didn't cross the border. They finally did for some of these later playoff series. Um, but uh, they are now going to have fans or they did have fans, you know, for their, their games here, but it's such on a limited small basis. They're now going to be going up against Tampa Bay who, who is in Florida, a free state, and they have all their fans there. 2,100, I think it's 21,000 fans can in, in their arena. I looked up 21, five. They're only going to allow like 2,500 fans, like 12% uh, capacity in Montreal. So it's the first time in 25 years, 28 years, that Montreal has been in the Stanley Cup final and they're going to be prohibited with their attendance. And I saw some great video of them out and about in the, in the streets, you know, the, the fans losing their mind over, over uh, you know, the, the victory and everything. And it looked like one big party, but... Canada man has been under worse lockdown than us. I know, I know that I've seen some horrible videos of people getting, you know, dragged out of churches and homes and things, just horrible stuff. But it's just crazy. The Stanley cup final, and you're only going to have 2,500 people there. And I know we're the big, awful Americans or we've, we've opened up some stadiums now and, you know, we are so uh, irresponsible of, of us and everything. It's just interesting how government and, and the most popular sport in that country, how that's kind of 
bashing heads a little bit because you know there's people who want to get to that that arena and watch that uh, their their beloved team. I mean, it's Montreal. The Expos aren't there anymore. The, the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, it's uh, life and death up there, and all the different Stanley Cup championships they've had over the years. First time in 28 years. How crazy is that? I mean, I mean the Dodgers in L.A. They hadn't been to the World Series since 88 when they got there in 17 it, that had been, what is that? 20 years. And a lot of people were itching to get there and just ready to rock. And, and that's kind of similar to the Canadians here. So Montreal Canadians, Hey, it's your government. It's your policies. Uh, I wish you could see a, uh, see fancy, go see a game. It would have been cool, but they're having border issues too. I mean, I'm going to say a, a Montreal fan fly to Florida and, and watch the uh, Stanley cup final, but they can't get across the border. So more and more hysteria. I've talked about it, and I've uh, and I've talked about uh, long enough today. So I'm going to move on. But guys, College World Series finals are set. Enjoy that, and the Stanley Cup final is set. So next Monday we'll recap both of those. Although the Stanley Cup final might not be done with yet. And I learned this last year from uh, who was I listening to? It may have been Bill Burr or some other hockey fan, but uh, yeah, it is. It's not the Stanley cup finals. It's final. It's the Stanley cup final. They're very, they're very uh, sensitive to uh, getting it right there. And then the Lord Stanley's cup. Hey, I respect it. I, I, I have, however the terminology is, I respect it, but it's not the Stanley cup finals, Stanley cup final. And let's see. So game one is Monday. Game two is Wednesday. Uh, Friday, July 2nd. So it's just basically every two days, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, the 5th. So if there's a sweep, we might be able to have a show on Monday and talk about a champion. But other than that, it'll spill into next week. But we'll at least talk about uh, some of the games that have happened in the Stanley Cup final. And we will break down the College World Series uh, championship series, the two out of three on Monday through Wednesday of this week. Enjoy it all, guys. Two great sporting events. I know there's some NBA playoffs going on too, if that interests you. But uh, for now, I think, uh, you know, my, my focus is College World Series and the Stanley Cup Final. So have a great week. We will see you on Wednesday when I'm joined by Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. And as a reminder, guys, get those questions in or topics or content suggestions. Send them our way so that uh, we have things to talk about. Oh, or, uh, you know, I have some things to talk about on Mondays if you're bored with some of my, uh, my uh, you know, my speech or whatever. All right. I'm out of coffee. I'm out of breath. It's time for me to move on. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday. And guys, as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. We know we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but we always want to keep people informed of the many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have various social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. There's plenty of ways and options to listen to the get home safe podcast anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like apple spotify google and many more we also have a youtube channel that is brand new for us not a whole lot of content on there yet but we're going to try to put out more and more video episodes in go 
going forward, as well as short clips here and there regarding uh, big events that happen uh, over the course of time. So lots of options out there, guys. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, offer uh, some suggestions or content uh, topics, or uh, just ask us some random questions. We always appreciate that. I know Bill Barnes does, especially on Wednesdays. So uh, looking forward to continue to bring you great episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Guys, have a great rest of the week. And as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.